Pero antes, un mensaje de nuestros auspiciadores. Hello, welcome to Prince Track by Track. I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about the most beautiful girl in the world um, from The Gold Experience. Um, though, you know, we'll get into the history of when this should have been released and how this was released. Recorded on the 20th of September 1993, uh, with a little bit of overdubbing later on, I think, but mostly that was the day when he kind of did the song and released on the 14th of February 1994. On the track, it is just Symbol. Um, uh, you know, obviously this bears the performed, arranged, composed by Prince. Uh, there's extra production by uh, Ricky Peterson, though, um, you know, obviously we're not 100% sure on exactly what that is. But, you know, it's mostly Prince on the basic track. Um, and then there were four or five other versions <laughs> uh, that kind of used the same basic track in and had different people singing. There's a version that had some saxophone from Eric Leeds. There's a version that had, you know, uh, the MPG horns. There's so many different versions, uh, which obviously we can get into the discussion of later. Uh, yeah. the, the track itself is four minutes seven on the single release, which was put out um, by uh, not Warner Brothers. Um, and then on the album it becomes four, min uh, 4 minutes 25 the video goes for 4 minutes 55 and then the B-side remix um, which was originally meant to be face down something which you know I'll discuss more on that when I get to Emancipation is 5 minutes 57 although it goes by the name Beautiful um, joining me to talk about it today is Elliot Wallace hello Elliot hey there Darren uh, I, I want to say we are the most beautiful pod in the world that's the joke for this one that's all I could think of right now but it's a good one. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> For the genre, I don't feel like we got to fumble around. It's clearly a ballad. Yeah, oh, absolutely. A ballad. Uh, and I, I was thinking more uh, when we, we did a shush or shh a while ago, and I think you called it uh, baby making music. So I, yeah. I won't call this baby making ballad, but this is more of an admiration ballad instead of just like a regular love ballad. Yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of just. Uh, <laughs> Add a little bit more to that, but that's that's where I was uh, coming uh, for coming through for this song. Yeah. Yes, but it's a ballad. It's a soul ballad. Yeah, and uh, I will say this for most people who you know who know Prince, mm. uh, you know the, there are a few things that people know about Prince. You know, first of all, Purple Rain. Um, you know, right. second of all, probably Kiss. I would say, you know, that's that's probably you know kind of uh, kind of the next thing that people would say about Prince. Uh, then maybe Batman. Um, and probably after that, I would say Diamonds and Pearls. Uh, maybe a few people might know My Name is Prince uh, and Sexy MF. You know, that might be kind of, uh, you know, the last thing that people would know about Prince. And then you kind of get to, you know, the dispute with Warner Brothers and, um, you know, this this single, you know, uh, Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Um, you know, right. So, I mean, I mean, to say it's kind of one of Prince's more successful singles is, is probably underselling it a little bit. You know, it was the 19th highest selling um, single at the end of 1994 on the Billboard charts. Um, number seven in New Zealand, number 41 in Canada. Um, you know, it's Prince's only number one single in the UK. 
Um, it got to number. Oh wow! Yeah, it didn't get to number one in America though. It got to number three on the Hot right. 100. Number three on the Top 40. Number three on the Rhythmic Top 40. I don't know what that is. Uh, number two on the Hot R&B singles. It was number 13 in Sweden and 15 in Iceland. But otherwise, it was number one in the Netherlands. Number one in New Zealand. Number one in Australia. Number five in Austria. Number four in Belgium. Number six in Canada. Number two in the Eurochart Hot 100. Uh, it got to number five in France, probably his most successful single, you know, for about a decade over there in France. Number nine in Germany. Mm. You know, this was basically just a huge hit, you know. Um, right. You yeah. Know, and and kind of got so much kind of airplay. Even these days, I will hear it on the radio, um, you know. And I think for most people, this is kind of the last time that they remember anything by Prince. Um, you know, maybe some of them might remember musicology but that's like a decade later right you know, and maybe some of the kind of the last things he did maybe you know maybe uh breakfast can wait maybe something like that they might know but i feel like for most people this is the last time they remember anything by prince you know kind of being a big hit so the um super bowl uh performance has a big uh kind of cultural impact too yeah. um if not for the actual music of what they remember they just remember the show and it kind of being a um a rebirth or like a resurrection of uh, his career and like uh, the overall kind of pop world, as it were. So I think, yeah, if you if if not not just the music wise, but culturally, I think that's the Super Bowl performance plays a big part too. But maybe people remember the performance, but if you ask them what songs did he play, they might just recall Purple Rain. Um, pretty much yeah. that's it. You know, like they don't remember the whole performance; they just remember kind of like the you know the moment with the you know the marching band and uh, you know kind of the rain coming down in the stadium and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of cultural milestones, I'd say, yeah, probably the Super Bowl performance is the last kind of thing that people remember in terms of Prince. But as, as you know, as far as music goes, I think this would probably be the, la the kind of the most recent song that people could name. Um, you know, some people yeah. might know the cover of Betcha by Goddy Wow, or they might be they might know Holy River or Somebody Somebody. Like there's a few singles released after this, uh, maybe even Gold. They might, you know, they might know, but. You know, in terms of an impact, I think Most Beautiful Girl in the World is, uh, you know, without a doubt, kind of like the biggest impact. Not only that, but it was kind of a victory for Prince in his dispute with Warner Brothers. You know, Warner Brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Warner Brothers wanted this song on Cub. They, they, they wanted Most Beautiful Girl in the World. And I don't know where it would have gone on that album. Um, you know, and they wanted it on there. And this is this is while Cub didn't have the title track on there. Um, you know, and then mm. they forced Prince's hand and he was like, OK, I'll record a title track. And he, you know, did an 11 minute song, um, you know, that was fairly explicit about what it wanted from people. Um, and he held back Most Beautiful Girl in the World and decided he was going to put it on the Gold Experience. There was a lot of promotion around this time about how the Gold Experience was an album that would never be released. Um, you know, there's a couple mm. of performances that he did on TV where he kind of. You know, he said publicly, I'm just going to keep touring this album and I'm never going to release it. No one will ever hear it unless they just come to the shows, which, you know, did fairly well for him in terms of, um, you know, his touring, because that tour was extremely successful. Uh, and this was, you know, you know, like I said, Prince was allowed to release this single. He was allowed to release this song independently mostly because someone at Warner Brothers was like um, wanting to prove a point to Prince and say, look, it's not easy. If you think it's easy to get, you know, like a single distributed and all this kind of stuff, go ahead. You distribute that single and see how well it does. And then obviously <laughs> it was a gigantic hit. And it, I guess in kind of Prince's mind, it kind of solidified the idea that he could he could be successful outside of the system. Right. And 
I mean, I've 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 talked a little bit about the kind of dis- the dispute and you know how Prince wanted to kind of put more and more songs out and you know Warner Brothers wanted to kind of limit him to an album a year and a couple of singles and they wanted to kind of have him do these long worldwide tours. Um, he'd done a couple of those in the eighties and kind of make money from the touring and you know all that kind of stuff. And Prince just basically wanted to release three or four songs a week and then maybe once a month collect them into an album. And that was kind of essentially that's what the MPG Music Club, you know, became was that kind of model of Prince just constantly releasing music like nonstop. And, you know, by the time, you know, the Gold Experience came out, some of the tracks on there were almost two years old. You know, it's kind of unheard of in terms of Prince, you know, aside from a couple of early occasions like, um, you know, some of the stuff on Graffiti Bridge where he kind of took stuff out of the vault and, you know, re-recorded stuff or some of the B-sides, you know, that had been around for a couple of years before they eventually found a place. Uh, Mostly he wanted to kind of release the most recent work that he did. Warner Brothers wanted to muddy the water. Um, (laughs) So every time Prince tried to release an album during this period, they would try and put something out at the same time there was competing press releases that came out with different emojis on before emojis even existed and you know during this time you know you have kind of you know dinner with Dolores getting released after most beautiful girls so you know people are kind of aren't clear as to exactly what is prince material in fact prince actually proposed releasing come and the gold experience on the same day <laughs> And um, Warner Brothers said no. The kind of concession to that was this single. You know, you're allowed to release it. Find yourself a distributor and, you know, and and then you can do whatever you want. And Prince found a, you know, an independent distributor, Belmont Records. And they released the single. And like we said, a huge success. Over here in England, I think it was released by... um, Edel, which is like a German company. Right. And, you know, he's only number one. So this kind of, I mean, I I think it's funny because it's almost kind of like it gave Prince a level of kind of confidence that wasn't fully justified. Like this was really more of an outlier, the success of the single than a kind mm-hmm. of sign of things to come. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I, why were, did Warner really doubt Prince could, what like an independent distributor wouldn't want to work with Prince in some way, shape or form? I know it's, you know, you're going to the mid 90s and Prince's popularity is waning just a little bit. It's, it's after Diamonds and Pearls and all that. But at the same time, it's like, but it's still, you know, it's still one of the biggest stars in popular music. I mean, I, you know, it was it was a bad it was a miscalculation to say the very least, obviously. And I th- I think the thing is as well is you know I mean Warner's kind of had a point you know I mean uh, you know Graffiti Bridge was a relative failure um, you know right. it just it, the film was a failure you know Thieves in the Temple was a hit but pretty much everything else around that was not successful. Tevin Campbell had the biggest single from that album, <laughs> so that shows you where Prince was. And Diamonds and Pearls, though, you know, they, they kind of milked a few singles out of that, um, you know, and Get Off was, you know, a hit. Cream was a number one single, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by the time you got to Symbol, first of all, you have an album whose name you cannot pronounce. Um, and then and then you have a couple of singles which basically didn't chart that well. Um, and and mm-hmm. this is the point at which they had they had renewed his contract and they were expecting to kind of. I guess micromanage him a little bit more to kind of get more value for money. Um, And even though eventually Symbol was a success, you know, it sold almost 3 million copies. That's nothing to be sniffed at. Um, You know, Warner Brothers kind of nervously decided that they wanted to kind of try and cash in a little bit and, you know, kind of come up with the greatest hits compilation, which, again, was fairly successful, you know, sold really well. 
um, you know, also helped kind of with sell the back catalogue a bit more. Um, so, you know, in terms of Prince as an artist, Warner Brothers felt that, you know, he was maybe on the upswing. Um, and then yeah. I feel like, you know, the release of Come and then the Black Album and then Gold Experience and the kind of confusion with the name change and Prince kind of very publicly, you know, he refused to promote the hits, the B-sides. You know, they had to pay him a million dollars to get the Black Album released. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, he be- he kind of became intractable on this particular issue that he wanted his... Um, he wanted control of the master tapes and they weren't going to give him control of the master tapes. You know, that was never going to happen at that particular time. Obviously, you know, years later, he kind of did get control back. Um, But, you know, so Prince was kind of very frustrated and I think Warner Brothers just kind of wanted to try and teach him a lesson and, like we say, Mm. backfired spectacularly, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And obviously, the only only issue was, you know, the the Most Beautiful Girl in the World was very successful, you know, which kind of helped come a little bit because that managed to get you know, to, to kind of half a million copies sold. Um, you know, it was a number one album over here. Um, and, mm. you know, that was the kind of closest thing released to Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Though I guess most people would have expected that to have been on that album, but it clearly wasn't. Um, but, you know, by the time Gold Experience came out um, as an album, it, you know, it it kind of, it got into the top 10, but it, it, it you know, it was, and it was relatively well-reviewed. Um, but it just it was not the success that Warner Brothers, you know, had kind of wanted was looking for. Yeah. And, you know, with, with such a successful single on there, you would have expected that maybe it would have sold well. Um, but, you know, I think if you're Warner Brothers, it's clear that at this point, you know, things are heading down for Prince, you know, yeah. he's still yeah. having hits, but not to the kind of extent that he was in the 80s. And also right. at this time, you have to remember that, you know, his nearest rival on the label, which would have been Madonna. Um, had just kind of, you know, she'd formed Maverick Records. And during the same time period, you know, the, the kind of the first big release from Maverick Records was Jagged Little Pill. And that thing sold right. like 30 million copies or something ridiculous. So, And I feel like that also soured, you know, the general public on Prince. If we're talking about the person who, you know, knows the words to, well, the opening lines maybe to Purple Rain and, and the chorus and nothing else. Um, that, that person who kind of knew Prince as an entity was probably souring on you know, what Prince was putting out. And I've got to be honest with you, at the same time, Michael Jackson floated a gigantic statue of himself down the Thames and people were probably <sighs> reaching the end of their tolerance for his kind of shenanigans. And yeah. then Madonna had released a book, you know, that was fairly explicit, let's say. Oh, wow. That, you know, possibly Just... maybe only her gynecologist had been that intimate with her before. <laughs> and and so you had kind of... And, and, and Sean Penn. I just wanted to make that joke. And Sean Penn. <laughs> well, yes. And, yeah, and Sean Penn. Um, I probably shouldn't have made that joke. Sorry. Basically, you had these three kind of icons of the 80s who, by the time you get to like yeah. 92, 93, 94, they're kind of almost deliberately doing stuff to kind of make themselves unpopular. I don't I don't think Michael was ever doing that, but I think Madonna and Prince yeah. were trying to kind of kind of stay on the cutting edge, and that ended up kind of alienating a lot of their kind of more casual fans. Right? Yeah, I can definitely. By see the that. time Madonna gets to like bedtime stories, that album is barely selling anything. Um, you know, Michael Jackson released um, like the Blood on the Dance Floor. That kind of barely barely made any money. History. Well, I mean, history was actually fairly successful because it was a greatest hits compilation. Right. Essentially, the first the first half at least. But, you know, yeah, calling it history part one as well. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're setting yourself up to kind of say, oh, there's another 30 years of my career that will that will form history part two. And that's clearly, <sighs> well. you know, it's, it's very unlikely that that was ever going to happen. So you had these kind of almost kind of petulant, pampered pop stars who were 
deciding that this is the time to kind of either deliberately alienate their audiences, as Madonna did with, you know, erotica and bedtime stories, um, you know, kind of inflate their ego, as as Michael Jackson did with, you know, History Part One and um, and, you know, Blood on the Dance Floor. Um, and and you know and then you had Prince changing his name and releasing material to deliberately kind of flood the marketplace with more and more songs um, and yeah. you know there's a reason why record companies have been you know fairly successful for like you know a century and that's because they're reasonably good at figuring out what the market wants although Prince had this one victory with this one hit single you know like I said this is probably the last kind of thing where he was kind of significant to you know casual kind of um, you know, music buyers. And then after this, you know, yeah. there's a couple of gimmicks that he did, like, you know, giving away albums with newspapers, but I doubt that many people could name which albums he gave out with what newspapers in what years. You know, they just know that he, that's something no. he did. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, and uh, yep. let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Elliot? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E.H. Wallace, and you can also find me on Instagram. I want to make sure... I have it right. I'm trying to, I'm doing a, a health uh, Instagram and you can find that at the Elliot Wallace, uh, two L's, two T's. Uh, yeah. So if you want to look me up and, uh, no, that's it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track or on Twitter at Prince Podcast, or you can email us, not sure why you would, at Prince Track by Track at gmail.com. Thanks, Ms. Wolf, for being my guest here, Elliot. Thank you. And otherwise, goodbye. You are now an official member of the New Power Generation. Welcome to the Dawn.